We've been talking about family starting last week, and I'm going to continue. I'm personally excited about men, men of God. There is an undercurrent of men stepping up to the plate for so long. Men, even in our media, you notice many of our TV programs bashing men, making them look stupid and so on and so forth. There's, there's a generation, there's a whole breed of men that are stepping up and being spiritual. I shared with a group of guys the other day that it's not really even something they're doing in themselves. It's something that the Spirit of God is doing. He's taking the scriptures in Malachi where he says, In the last days he returned the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And God's allowing that to happen. He's put a stirring in, in men's hearts. And I'm excited. And, and men, God's called us to be the, the head of our homes. Amen? That was kind of weak. Men, God's called us to be the head of the home. A little better. You can at least grunt or something, you know, hoorah or something, you know. Uh, and there's, there's, a, there's a, a calling on our life. And I would suggest to you this morning that if uh, you're married here, and especially if you're not attending a Sunday school class anywhere, that you would check out the Sunday school class that just started today called Fireproof. I don't care where you're at in your marriage, if you've been married 60 years or if you've been married uh, a month. Uh, This class will be a blessing to you. And I want to say to you that your marriage never gets to the place where it doesn't need work. And I say that again because you need to hear this. Your marriage doesn't ever get to the place where it doesn't need any work. Every stage of life, at every season in your life, your marriage needs work. You and your wife are constantly changing. And uh, I love the Catholic sign of all people to put the sign out on Route 30 by Wendy's. Have you done anything for your marriage lately? And there's a guy standing there kind of going like, what are you talking about, you know? And, and what a great question. Have you done anything for your marriage lately? Just ask yourself that question. What have you done for your marriage lately? Guys, what have you done for your wife, wives? What have you done for your husbands? And I don't mean the day-to-day stuff. What are you doing to make it special? What are you making it? How are you making it fun and romantic? How are you putting spice back in it? How many know there are lots of stressors in life? Amen? And if we're not taking... Uh, aggressive steps on being passionate about serving our husbands and wives, we're going to miss it. You're going to miss a lot of joy. I'm saddened by how many couples get to their 40s and the kids are all grown up, maybe by 50s, and, you know, they decide, you know, we spent so much time with the kids that we really have nothing in common. And they divorce at that age and go do something wild and crazy. It's a harebrained idea. It's craziness. Well, what's happened is along the way, they've put all of their energy into their children and they forgot each other. And I would say to some of you here today that you need to get less attention put on your kids and more attention put on your husband or your wife. Really quiet in here today. Really quiet. Thank God for children. And they, they demand a lot of attention, especially when they're really young. I mean to tell you, you need to find, aggressively find ways to take them out of the picture for a little while because you married him or her long before you had those children. 
And that in relationship is important. And if you want to raise them in a home where they can see godliness, then you need to have a connection with one another. Because Jesus Christ uses the husband and the wife as a picture between he and the church. He calls this a holy union. He doesn't say mothers and children. He says husbands and wives. Husbands, treat your wife like Christ treats the church and gave himself up. That that puts us in a whole new paradigm of relationship. So he's saying there's importance about this. There's something about that that's holy, it's sacred. People ought to be able to look at that and say, that's the way Christ treats the church, the way that man treats his wife. So when you start thinking of it in that realm, it's a pretty awesome task. Today I want to talk about a family in peace. In your bulletin there should be an outline there if you want to follow along with me. There's lots of blanks to fill in today. Mark chapter 3 and verse 25, a home divided against itself is doomed. A home divided against itself is doomed. I think we all know the truth of that statement. In fact, some may be living the truth of that statement out. There may be tension in your home today. And if that's you, again, I suggest to you that you do everything possible to put that marriage back together. It's the most important relationship you have on earth. And uh, attend that class. Attend these things we have in Sunday school. We have marriage classes. Do everything you can to keep your marriage fresh. So let's see what we can do to change this atmosphere in some of our homes and maybe prevent it from happening in others as we... Try to equip ourselves. Let's look at three aspects to conflict in the home. Every home has them. You know, sometimes I'll hear somebody say, we never fight in my home. Uh, you know, you may say that to me, but I'm saying, you know, God bless you, you're a great liar. <laughs> I mean that sincerely. If there's never friction in your home, you're not human. Do you hear that? Because we are human, there has to be friction. We are just made that way. And that's why God gives us so much instruction on how to handle conflict. Because he knows there's going to be lots of it. The reason for conflict. Well, James tells us in the fourth chapter, the first two verses, do you, do you know where your fights and arguments are coming from? They come from the selfish desires that war within you. You want things, but you, you do not have them. So you're ready to kill and are jealous of other people, but you still cannot get what you want. So you argue and fight. Basically, it's selfishness. We all are greedy, selfish people. We want, we want, we want. And the cause of conflict is competing desires in marriages. And, I, and I, I want what I want, you want what you want, and we have these competing interests going on all the time in our relationship. And most of them will never be fulfilled. They're usually unrealistic expectations we have of each other. And one thing that I've noticed in, in, in my relationship is that I have these kind of unspoken things that float around in my head that I want my wife to do, but I never verbalize them to him or to her. And I would say to many of you guys, yeah, that was kind of strange, wasn't it? Um, I saw some of you laugh, and I was hoping you didn't catch it, but you did. Um, But I would submit that there's probably a lot of you men here that do the same thing, that you have something you'd like or wish your wife to do, but we never verbalize those. 
And what happens is you have this internal building up of, I wish, I wish she would, she would, and, and she doesn't. And then many of us, because we're not verbal and vocal about how we feel, because many of them are feeling things and we do terrible with feeling stuff, that we, and we're not vocalizing it, that we stuff that feeling again, and then we start to get uh, antig- anta- antagonistic towards our wife. And we start building up maybe resentment, and she doesn't even know it. She's just going on cooking and doing the stuff that wives do, you know. And all the time inside, you're thinking, ugh, doesn't she know what I need? No, because she's not a mind reader. Guys, she's not a mind reader. I'm just saying that because I'm telling you, that's what I do. I find myself doing that a lot. But unless we communicate that to her, she's not going to know. So we have these desires of our own, but if we're not communicating, it ends up being really bad. The reactions to conflict, number two. There are five basic ways that most of us react to conflict. The first one is my way. (laughs) Of course, my way is always the right way, right? This is one of the reactions that we have. My way says, I win. I assert my will until you give in. I'm totally right and you're totally wrong. My way is the only way. And some of you are fighting this way in your marriage. The second way, a reaction to conflict is no way. This way says, I withdraw. I back away from the conflict. I ignore the problem. I avoid it at all costs. And nothing is ever resolved because you just keep backing away from it. This is probably even more dangerous. Because you cannot keep backing away. Eventually, It's going to catch up to you somewhere. Any individual, no matter who you are, you can only handle so much conflict before you have to explode somewhere. You ever see those pressure cookers? My wife used to have one. I don't know if we have it anymore, but it has a rubber ring on it, and you put the top on, and you kind of close it together, and it's really tight, and it's got a little valve on the top, and it builds up pressure. And I guess you're only supposed to let it get so high. My wife was just sharing a story with us the other day, and her parents, when they lived in Haiti, uh, they had a couple people that would clean house for them and stuff, and they always watched her mom use this pressure cooker, and they were always kind of shocked at it and just watched it with big eyes, you know. And one day, her mom was gone, and these Haitians decided they were going to get the pressure cooker out and cook whatever they cooked in the pressure cooker. And when she came home, the, the cooker was just smashed, and there was stuff everywhere, walls and everything. You know, some of your marriages are like that pressure cooker. Eventually, it's going to smash, and it won't be pretty. And so this reaction, no way, just keep backing away. Well, you know, I'm not going to say anything this time. That's not a great way to react either. Third way is your way. I give in and roll over, and I'll play dead. You're right. I'm wrong. I'm such a terrible person. That's not really a healthy way either. Because I want your approval, so I pretend like I'm a doormat, and I always give in to your wishes. It's always your way, and you know, this sounds nice. It almost sounds like a peacemaker, doesn't it? Oh, no, I don't want to fight, so hey, you just do it your way. But there's really some unhealthy reaction in there as well. It's a very peaceful way to live, but it's also a very frustrating way to live, and that individual that continues to do that eventually is going to have some reactions too. And the fourth way is halfway. You compromise. I give a little, you give a little, you win some, and you lose some. And I will submit a fifth way to you. It's kind of similar to number four, but it's our way. It's our way. This is the best way. We work out mutual goals together. I'm not, I don't only care about resolving the problem, but I care about the relationship. 
See, it's not the problem, it's not the issue that's important to me. It's about relationship, preserving the relationship above whatever the thing is. The house you want, the car you want, where you're going to raise your kids, where you're going to send them to school, you know, what you're going to do, where you're going to go and eat, whatever the minute or major issue it is, it really comes back to the relationship. In my heart, I have to say, what's most important here is the relationship and I'm going to preserve it at all costs. And so together we're going to talk about this. And what's going to happen is you're going to start sharing why you're so passionate about this particular thing. And your spouse is going to share why they're so passionate about it. And both of you are going to hear things that you didn't realize were even in each other's heart. And once you're able to place those on the table with one another, you say, oh, I didn't realize you felt that way about it. And you're going to see this submission thing happen, this surrendering happen in one another's lives. And you're going to say to each other, you know what, honey, I agree. I was feeling like we really should do this, but I see now that that really is probably a better thing to do. Let's do that. And it's such a joyful way to resolve conflict. So let's look at the resolution to conflict, Uh, the third point. I want to look at the Bible and see eight steps to actually resolve conflict. To do that, I think if we're looking at the Bible, the first step would simply, and it may seem basic to many of us here today, but the first thing we need to do is we need to become a believer. The Scripture clearly tells us that the, the things of the Word don't mean anything to someone who's not a believer. In fact, the Scripture says that it's the Scripture's foolishness to those that don't believe. They read it and they go, I don't even understand. It doesn't even make sense to me. Well, it's because their spirit is not what, what, what is referred to as born again or changed or open to receive the word of God. So we have to become a believer, a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ, whatever label you want to put on it. But you have to come to the understanding that you're a sinner and you need a Savior and you need him to free you from sin. Step number one, be a, sinner, be a, be a Christian and get rid of the sin in your life. Ephesians 2, 16. As parts of the same body, our anger against each other has disappeared, for both of us have been reconciled to God, and so the feud ended at last at the cross. I know the cross is a way of ending a lot of feuds. When Jesus Christ Spirit is living within me, and when Christ's Spirit is living within you, Jesus is not going to fight with Jesus. Amen? So we have this commonality in us that my spirit wants to bear a beautiful witness and spirit with yours. And so we work together that way. Many of you could say that before you came, became a believer, you had no motivation to resolve conflict. And if I, if I had a conflict, I'd say, well, that's, the, that's, that's your problem. And man, before you come to Christ, you really don't know how to resolve other than screaming and yelling at each other. I was going to share a story, but I'll skip that one. Shane, can I share your Walmart story? Do I have permission to do that? Maybe I should ask Melissa. I'll not share it, then I can tell you a little hesitant. Secondly... First of all, become a Christian. Secondly, talk to God about it. I had it in my notes. I didn't ask you prior. I'm sorry for embarrassing you. Uh, Secondly, talk to God about it. If I want to resolve conflict, hey, how many of you talk to God about the conflict that you have in your home? Or do you just continue with the fighting and bickering? 
you know, you can talk to God about it by yourself, but what would it be like if you sat down with your spouse hand in hand and said, God, we're really struggling with this area of our life and, you know, we're fighting over the kids right now. We're fighting over this. We're fighting over that. Lord, what would you have us to do? Please help us to resolve it with your anointing and your spirit. Not sure many of us would take that approach. But what a wonderful approach that would be. Talk to God about it. James 4, 2. So you argue and fight. Do you not get what you want? Because you do not ask who? You do not ask God. He just simply wants you to ask. You have not because you ask not. Many of the conflicts we have in life occur when we expect the other people to, to meet the needs which God promises that only He can meet. How many of you found that to be true? You had expectations of your husband and wife when really God's the only one. Go ahead, show your hand. It's all right. Had that expectation that only God can meet that. Just me, okay. I, I understand. I'm preaching to myself this morning. I want to say to you that are here and single today, don't look for somebody to meet your needs. You're not going to find them. Look to God. When I'm expecting somebody else to meet all of my needs, there's a telltale warning light that comes on. It's called anger. And we actually start getting angry at God because, God, you're not giving me someone to help meet my needs when God's saying, hey, I'm all you need. I'm all you need. Right? It's a warning light that says I'm expecting somebody to meet my needs that God wants to meet, and I'm asking somebody else to be God. And that's just unfair to somebody else. And when you get married and you go into that relationship, you ask my wife the expectations she had of me when we got married. If I only knew. If I only knew the expectations. You know, when we first got married, she was like, well, I, I, I deserve everything I want. And he should just, you know, bow down and kiss my feet every day because I'm a marvelous woman kind of thing, you know. And I'm like, no, you should bow down and kiss mine because I'm a pretty cool guy. And so we had these really unrealistic expectations going into our marriage. And boy, we had some real banging times. Real banging times. What I'm trying to do is save you a lot of the heartaches that I've gone through over the years. Some of you are young enough in your marriage, you're listening to this message, and I hope it's just not going in your ears, but I hope it's going into your spirit. Because if you take this to heart, many of you that have been married for many years, I'm seeing you nod your head through this morning because you're saying, yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. And boy, you wish that somebody had told you that in the early days of your marriage, how to work some of these things out. Analyze the problem, number three. Ask yourself, how much of this is my fault? We're always looking to point the finger at the other person. If they wouldn't, if they would stop, if they just were this, if they were just that. Before you start accusing and blaming and attacking, Jesus says, check yourself out. Am I the problem? Am I the cause? Is there a blind spot in my life? Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 to 4. From the message translation, it reads like this. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face to you when your face is distorted by contempt? 
We're always looking at somebody else and saying, oh, you got a flaw there. And, you know, we didn't know that we had pizza sauce all over our own, you know, looking like a clown. And we're worried about a little piece of cake that's on the lip. I'm not talking about exterior stuff. I'm talking about stuff that we see in each other's lives. We're always trying to pick apart and make something better. And, you know, what if you stopped looking at the issues in each other's lives and looked at your own? When you're in a conflict, before you start washing your husband's or wife's face, get out the mirror and take a look at yourself. Check it out. Ask yourself, am I the problem? Family problems are not just your problem. They're our problems. It's not just the husband or the wife. It becomes both. It becomes the children's. And then ultimately, it becomes our problem. I want you to catch that this morning. That if your family is unhealthy, it means our family is unhealthy. And if you're not relating to one another well at home, when you get here, it's not going to be any better. Hey, we can put the mask on. We've all done it. You come to church and you're screaming and fighting, getting the kids ready and everything. And you, you walk through the door and the greeters are there with the biggest pat, furry with a big smile on her face, shaking your hand and hand your bones. And hey, everything's good. We're a perfect family. God's just good to us, you know. And inside you're going, Ugh. Can't wait to get out of here so I can start this argument all over again. Listen, when you bring that unrest into the body, it's a spirit of unrest that affects the rest of the body. Why is it important for you to heal things at home so that when we come together, we don't have to deal with the issues, we can deal with the issue of worship rather than the issue of conflict? When there's unrest and unpeace, you can't worship properly. You're there and you're stewing about your wife and you're stewing about whatever it is and and everybody around you, they got tears flowing, hands going and passionately worshiping God and you're just here. And I'm up here as a worship leader looking at you going, dude, what's your problem? If I could read your mind, I'm just ticked off. Well, you're hindering me. You're hindering somebody around you. So if you're not going to mess with your family at home, you bring it here and you end up messing with everybody else. We are, again, as we said earlier, we are the body of Christ. Is that not true? So it's important we learn to deal with these things at home so we can have healthy marriages. And fourthly, schedule a peace conference. This is kind of fun. Remember one training I went to, they suggested if you've got a real heavy argument you want to have with your husband or your wife, you bring them to a restaurant. And you sit across the table, and in your anger, you put your hands across the table and you hold hands, and you look at each other and say, I am really ticked off at you right now. And this whole restaurant is watching us, and so I can't raise my voice at you and make a fool out of myself. So like a man, I'm going to just be really angry until we resolve this. And I want you to know why I'm mad. And what do you think about that? And she says, yeah, my claws are digging into your palms right now because I'm really ticked off too. And I hope you start bleeding real soon. And <laughs> you're smiling at each other. And, you know, you just kind of work it out. And, you know, eventually there's the, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I'm, I'm being stupid. And you do the coup in the car and you reach across and you smack each other on the lips and, You just work it out. But being in a restaurant, see, it kind of helps you, I hope. Uh, 
resolve it without screaming at each other. Sometimes when you do it at home, you know, the candles get flying across the room and voices get raised and kids get told to get outside. I'm having a fight right now, you know, and it gets kind of wild at home. Let me say this. Conflict is seldom resolved accidentally. Did you hear that? You have to intentionally want to solve it. And so, setting a peace conference. You know, sometimes when you're in the heat of things, it might be good just to say, hey, listen, you know what, honey? We both obviously are really mad right now. Can we just not talk about this? Some of you have those spouses where they're not going to let up. No, we're going to deal with it right now. And they're, they're just on you, and you're hot. You're already at a 10, you know, and they're pushing you to a 20. And, and 10's already blowing a gasket, but that... You ever, I hope you don't have one of those kind of spouses, but if you're one of those kind of spouses that's always pushing it, you know, it's good to just stop. Let it rest for a little bit. And the Scripture says don't let the sun go down in your anger, but what it's suggesting there is don't let a lot of time go by before you address the issue. But if, if the other spouse is really hot, why, why make it hotter? Why throw another log on the fire, right? Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to do that? So back off and say, hey, let's talk, let's, let's take a few moments, you know. I want to take a walk. Some of you need, someone need to clear your head. You just need to, let me go for a walk, let me get away. Some of you have real anger issues, and especially you. You need to take a break. Some of you just get violent. That's something the Lord wants to control in your life. That's not a godly characteristic, by the way. And God wants to control that in your life. And if that's you, step number one, you need to take a break. You need to step away from that argument. And let, let, let the pressure cooker simmer down a little bit so you can pop the cork and talk about it appropriately. Matthew chapter 5. So when you offer your gift to God at the altar and you remember what your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar, go and make peace with that person, and then come and offer your gift. God's saying, hey, don't act all spiritual when you haven't taken care of the natural. I've said this before, let me say it again. The natural is always a type or an indication of what is going on in the spirit. God often gives us natural indicators to show us what he will eventually do in the spirit realm. And it's that way in our marriage. What's going on in the natural will affect our spiritual thing, suspecting where, uh, reflecting where we're at spiritually. And if you've got a problem in your, and you're coming to church and you, you get ready to give the offering and you remember there's a problem, God says, the Lord says, you deal with it then. Don't wait till later on. You know why he says that? Because you're thinking you're being all spiritual, giving an offering. Let's say if it's a financial offering, you're getting ready to give it in the plate. God says that we're to give hilariously. And if you've got an issue, is that what's coming out of your heart? Are you giving hilariously? So what are you doing? You're being hypocritical. You're giving out of hypocrisy. You're giving out of anger when it really isn't in your heart to give because you're still stewing about Mrs. Stew. And you're angry about that, and so you can't, you can't really give out a proper motivation. Fifthly, establish ground rules. I want to help you do that this morning, and hopefully this would be um, good for you. As you're establishing ground rules, never compare. Never compare. Don't say, why can't you be like? 
Why can't you cook like my mom? Well, that's probably a bad place to go, guys. Bad place. As soon as you hear that come out of your mouth, you pat yourself on the back of the head and say, bad boy, bad boy, that was really bad. It was not the right thing to say. Or saying to someone, you're just like, you're just like your mother. Oh, I heard the groan there. That rang true to somebody. You know why it's unfair to compare? Because God made all of us unique. The Lord just told me that I've got to stop saying that last line to my wife. I, I do that to her. You know, you like your mom there, aren't you? And she, oh. <laughs> just being honest with you, I want you to know I'm preaching to myself. Just as I said that, the Lord just spoke that to me. You need to stop doing that. Okay, okay, God. It's all good. It's done. Secondly, never condemn. Never condemn. Don't use phrases like, you always, you never, you ought to, you should, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Don't start statements with you, start them with I. I've shared this with you before, and man, this is key, please. I'm going to keep hashing this for as long as I'm pastoring here, because it's so true. When you use the word you, picture yourself taking an arrow with a flame on the end and throwing it right into your spouse's heart. You make me. You always. You said. You, 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 you. Picture that flaming arrow going and hitting your wife or your husband. Because it's a condemning statement. You're putting all the emphasis on the person instead of the problem. Let me me give you some help. Instead of saying you... If something's really bothering you that that person's doing, you reflect it back to yourself. You say to the person, you know what, when, when we're in this argument, I'm feeling like there's some, there's some issues between us. I'm feeling like, and just those two words or three words, I'm feeling, has a way of taking the sting out of it. Well, I don't really feel like we're quite on the same page here. I don't feel like I'm being respected. I'm feeling like you're not hearing what I'm saying. I'm feeling like... And it has a way of dissolving that flaming arrow, and it helps to build healthy communication. Or how about something like this? Well, honey, what I really need from you is, or I feel this. And if somebody says, I feel it, husbands and wives, listen to this. Accept it as a legitimate feeling. Because as guys, often what we say, because we're fixers, we say, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Well, who are we to tell our spouse what they should or shouldn't feel or what they really do feel? If they feel it, we can't change it. It's there, right? It's a real legitimate feeling. So who are we to say, well, you shouldn't feel that way? Well, they didn't wake up and say, I think I want to feel angry today. I want to feel ticked off at my husband. No, it happens because of something that reciprocated in the relationship. So whether we think they should or shouldn't, it doesn't change the reality of it. They feel the way they feel. So don't delegitimize it. Is that a word? It sounded good. You don't understand what I'm saying? Don't delegitimize it by by you saying you shouldn't feel that way. And then thirdly, never command. Don't try to end an argument by, I'm the man of this house and I command you to shut up, woman, right now. Conversation's over. Wow. I hope there's no... 
no conversations like that going on. I just tell you straight up, you're really out of line, sir, ma'am. Don't try to be a parent to your spouse. Because we do that to our children. Emma, why? Because I said so. And it's going to end right now. We talk that way to our children. But we don't talk that way to husband and wife. There's not an authority level there. God doesn't say that the man is to be the dictator over the wife. He's the husband over the wife. And there's a submission there that goes, it swings very fairly one way or the other. Submission doesn't mean that we're this doormat underneath the husband and the husband beats down and gets what he wants all the time. There's a relationship of love and grace that, that hinges between the two. And then next, never challenge. I'm talking about making threats to each other here. Just try... Try that, and you're going to see what happens. You do that again, and I'm going to divorce you. You do that again, and you'll be sleeping on the couch. You do that again, and I'm not having sex with you for the next month. A strong-willed individual... When they hear challenges like that, they will hold you up to them. Strong-willed individuals say, oh yeah, bring it on. And they will ride that thing. And I promise you, you will lose. Remember when you were a little kid and somebody would draw a line and dare you to step step over that line? Most of us would go, My wife and I were handing out name tags at an event at Shalom Christian Academy the other day, and we were some young kids came in, they were going to get name tags, so I was messing with them. Don't, don't cross that line right there until you get a name tag. And, and you could just see it in the kid's heart. He just was like, yeah? So what are you going to do? Well, I threw him to the ground and beat him up. I didn't. But if you have a strong-willed individual in the marriage, they're going to push you on those lines. Three most common threats in marriage are, are sex, money, and divorce. Sex, money, and divorce. And let me just say this as I was pondering that, those three this week, that We could probably take a a little line from each one of those and bring the three lines together and put beside that communication because the lack of communication is the issue between all three of those. So rule those out in your marriage as deadly weapons that they have no part there. That we're not going to threaten each other with sex or money or divorce. Why? Because that's a work of immaturity. And we need to grow past that into uh, more godlike attributes and characteristics and less childish tactics. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, Paul said, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. 
And every one of us in here knows exactly what that verse is all about. We've all been there. We've walked through that. And it doesn't mean just when we were kids. Many of us, even in our adulthood, we've acted childish because we hadn't learned to put the childish ways behind us. In recent years, I just want to share this little kind of side note with you. In recent years, this issue of uh, being a spiritual father and having spiritual sons has been made really alive to me. And what it has done to me characteristically in my character, I have found myself bumped to a different level of responsibility in my relationship. Because I noticed that many of you know that driving's an issue with me. It's one of those areas in my life that I always struggle with. I have a really heavy foot. I'm constantly trying to talk to that thing right there and tell it it needs to let off the gas pedal. But what I've noticed is when I've taken on this role of being a spiritual father, I find myself driving down the road and saying to myself internally that I have a lot of people that are looking at me and are watching my life. And every area of my life has to be in accordance with the way the Lord would want it to be. When I'm handling a little child, I'm thinking this little child is looking at me like he would think a father would look at him. And so how am I going to handle this child? And when I discipline that little child or talk to that little child or play with that little child, am I doing it in a way that would reflect the heart of the father? And for me personally, it has kind of taken my whole issue of manhood and raised it up a lot. Many of you know that my personality is very fun and carefree and loving and you know, visionaries, we like all the, the big pictures, but we don't like the details. And, and I'm kind of that kind of guy. But this whole father-son thing has sort of made me step it up a lot inside. And I find myself caring a lot more for men that are around me in ways that I hadn't before. Little side note, let's move on. Never condescend treating somebody inferior than you. I think I've shared this before, but there were times in my marriage where my, my wife would cry and I was so emotionally unattached and really had no emotion, emotional life at all, emotional language or anything. My wife would cry and I, and I was, because I was so emotionally detached, I would just say to my wife, listen, if you're going to do that, would you go in the other room and cry? And doesn't that sound hard? Isn't that harsh? But I, I can honestly tell you that I never saw that. I never saw that. It, 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 it meant nothing to me to do that. It was just, listen, I'm selfish. And I want to sleep right now. You're crying. You're kind of interrupting my sleep. So just go in the other room and do that. But the Lord really dealt with me on a lot of that stuff. And uh, I had this rude awakening one day when God just pounded me in the chest and slapped me up the side of the head. And I remember weeping before my wife and repenting to her for how I treated her. And it was, uh, it was a, a beautiful thing when I came to that understanding and I realized that I treated my wife in a, a horrifying way. But really, I was condescending to her. And never contradict. Ever, ever be around a couple where the husband starts saying something, and the wife 
immediately answered, no, it's, we didn't do it. It wasn't there. No, you stupid. It, it was over Charlie's house, not Richard's house. And who really gives a care? Because the person you're telling the story, they don't care if it's Richard or Charlie. They don't care if it was Walmart or Kmart. They don't care if it was on, on, on Route 30 or Route 11. You're telling the story. Just get the story out. But you have that person, that spouse, that, no, 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 no. Oh, honey, you're so stupid. Don't you remember it was Jimmy that said that? It wasn't Susie. You ever been around couples like that? Are you that kind of couple? Let me just tell you, as a person viewing that conversation, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. If you're one of those kind of people, this might be an area that you really want to look at because you're contradicting, you're condescending, you're condemning, you're cutting down. Just, just shut up. Let them tell the story. And then when you get home, say, because my wife does this, she'll say, hey, honey, remember you told that story to so-and-so? You know, it wasn't three years ago. It was like last year. I'm like, oh, was it? Oh, okay. But she didn't embarrass me in front of everybody and say, you bonehead. It wasn't three years ago. It was just last year. You know, there's, there's, listen, there's no value in that. There's no real purpose in that other than you trying to show off in front of everybody that you're smarter or better or the superior spouse in the marriage. And when you're doing that, you're taking again away the value of the other person. I, I want to honor my spouse. I want, to, I want them to be lifted up. I want people to look at them and say, wow, that's a wonderful woman of God. That's a wonderful man of God. I don't want to be the one that's tearing them down in front of people. Never confuse. This is when you, you bring up unrelated or past issues in the middle of an argument. Often you do this in, intentionally to sidetrack people. And it starts out something like this. Well, you never take out the trash. Oh, yeah? Remember last year when, uh, when, uh, when, uh, uh, yeah, I asked you to go change the kid's diaper and you didn't do it? What are you talking about? You remember when? And so now we're, we're from this issue where the trash was supposed to be taken out and you missed the truck. You ever have that happen? I hate when that happens. You got a whole week's trash piled up at your house. But you, this is the issue. And all of a sudden it becomes about a diaper two years ago. How did we get here? And some of you are sabotage fighters. You go and you dig something up way back here, and you bring it up and you say, yeah, look how ugly that is. You were talking about that? Well, what about this? Is there any value in that? Am I honoring my spouse by doing that? Proverbs eleven twenty nine. The fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. Wow. The fool who does that. What it's saying is, if you're doing that, you're a fool. That's what the verse is saying, isn't it? And you fool, you keep doing that. What you're going to end up with is nothing. Certainly nothing worthy of speaking of. So it's foolish to intentionally cause anger. So, sixthly, switch your focus. Move the attention away from yourself to the other person. Philippians 2 tells us in verse 4 and 5, don't think about 
only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they're doing. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. You ever have a conversation with somebody and it's all about them? This is what I'm doing. You know, you need to be doing this with me. And they never ask, so how are you doing? I love being around people that know how to turn the conversation. Some people just do it. It's almost irritating because they're so good at it. Say, hey, Johnny, how you doing? I heard your dad died yesterday. Yeah, so, uh, so what's going on with your kids? You're like, well, I want to talk about your dad. But they, just, whew, they just turn the conversation because it's not all about them. What a great way to converse with somebody because you're really showing value in the other person. Notice what that does. See, I know that you're interested in me, but really I'm interested in you. And when you have a healthy dialogue going back and forth and you just really want to know and inquire about each other, it's an awesome thing. So switching focus. When you're angry, typically we're uh, preoccupied with ourselves and not the other person. If you want a magical sentence that will clear up so many conflicts and will usually end it right on the spot, it's this sentence. I'm sorry. I was only thinking of myself. Is there something I can do for you right now? Think of the magic of that statement. Isn't that beautiful? You're in a heated argument, and you just stop and you take a breath. What am I doing? Honey, I'm really sorry. Obviously, I'm just thinking of myself. I'm being very self-centered right now. What is it that you would like me to do for you right now? How can I help you right now? Can you feel? Can you feel that with me? Doesn't that make sense? Isn't that one of those statements you just go, well, yeah, that would be a great thing to do. Lord, help me to put that in the arsenal of sentences to throw out in the right time. Seventh, ask for advice. Ask for advice. Proverbs 12, 15, fools think they need no advice, but the wise listen to others. One of the things we don't do very well here at Christian Life, at least... uh, intentionally, I should say, is the younger wives going to the older wives and asking the mentoring process that should happen. Some of you older wives should try to intentionally invest your time into some of the younger wives' lives. And I would say those of you that are younger wives and husbands, by the way, those of you that are younger, it is a wise thing for you to do to go to someone who is older and more seasoned. And listen to me before we go too far with this thought. Make sure the people you are choosing are godly seasoned people, not just age seasoned people. Did you hear that? Because we could go to an older person that's been married a long time and their relationship really could be very, very bad. But look for someone who is a godly character that you would say, I love the way that marriage operates. I look at them and I say, those people are in love. There's a a couple from the church that I was at prior to here, and their name is Bob and Phyllis Milligan. And I would guess that they're in their 70s. They're like two lovebirds. You look at them and you say, I hope when I get that age that I look like that. And my wife, are working, we're working on that pretty good, I think. Um, and my kids are always saying, get a room. I said, that's right. I don't care. That's good. I love hearing that. Because someone's seeing that I love my wife. But I, I used to look at that couple and think, wow. And you know what they're doing? They are intentionally mentoring younger couples. 
Younger couples are saying, Bob and Phyllis, can you help us in a relationship? And so monthly they meet together and they just talk about what's going on in the marriage, how they're relating to one another. And Bob and Phyllis are so gifted, they're able to ask the right questions and help those couples along the way. We don't do that very well here, but it's a good thing to do. Ask for advice. And lastly, don't give up. Don't give up. The problem I, I see in so many families and I recognize they have a problem and they, they start talking about it and the tempers rise and somebody says, well, I'm walking out and they leave the room and they don't ever come back and resolve the problem. I don't know if the Chinese do this or where it came from, but I, it seems like when I was little we used to talk about it that you, know, you pick up the carpet and sweep the dirt under the carpet and put the carpet down when company's coming so they don't see the dirt. That's kind of what happens in that situation. If you don't ever go back and address it, you just keep sweeping it under the carpet. Eventually, you're going to have a big hump in the room. And if you don't talk about it, you're going to be always tripping over the hump in the room. And it's uh, like nothing's there, but it, it's the elephant that's in the room. You've got to stop and talk about it. Don't give up on the process. Work on it. Let me make this last qualifying statement as musicians are coming back and the men are getting ready to... Service communion. Is it already 10 after 12? Wow. Sorry. It's more rewarding to resolve a conflict. Hear this. It's more rewarding to dissolve a conflict or resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. In the body of Christ, the most important thing is the relationship. Above everything else, I want these relationships to, to, to stay together. So, Lord, help us to keep our relationships. My plea to you today as your pastor is that you'll, you'll make a commitment. We will do whatever it takes to make this marriage work, no matter how long it takes. I'm going to resolve the conflict so I don't have to dissolve a relationship. There's not one of us in this room that's perfect. Not one of us that has it all together. But God says that the reflection of the marriage relationship is the, should be a reflection his relationship with us. And Scripture tells us that, men, would you please come for communion? Um, Christ loved the church so much that he gave himself up for her. So in every relationship, you have to ask yourself this this impending question. Have I given myself to the point of dying for my spouse? And I would submit that many couples walk away from each other long before that happens. Just out of argument or spite. Just go right ahead and start distributing those. To the point where I would, I would bleed for my spouse. Have I gone there? And if not, there's still some work that you can do on that marriage. Father, I pray that you'd help us in our marriages. Help us to work these things out. Help us to be men and women of the word. We resolve, God, to set our marriages in order the way you'd want them to be. That you would receive glory and honor from them, we pray.